Hello everyone, my name is Fish, and I'll be your host. Welcome to our first podcast episode of Pot Talk. As we know, the, you know, the Green Rush is undoubtedly sweeping the nation. More and more states and countries are even legalizing recreational marijuana, such that it's arguably becoming the fastest growing industry in the developed world. Having owned and operated licensed medical and recreational business, I've learned the unglamorous and grinding aspects of the cannabis industry from the folks who make it possible. Whether to serve your personal curiosity to peek into the world of cannabis, or explore possible opportunities, Pot Talk aims to give you an inside look at the cannabis industry and what makes it work. Be sure to visit us on pottalk.org to link with all the Pot Talk media outlets to include weekly podcasts, we have YouTube channels, Instagram, Facebook, link us all up there. Check us out on pottalk.org. For today, I can't help but be more excited than having our first Pot Talk guest. It's one of my best friends within the industry, the first person I met kind of within the industry. Uh, his name is Matt. He's from uh, out here in Washington State with me. A little bit of background about Matt. He's a political science major from Drexel University. He's helped launch five recreational businesses successfully, founded, owned, operated, and helped build a million-dollar recreational cannabis business and brand. He's a keeper of approximately 500 cannabis strain variations, and he served as a paid campaign manager, and he can tell you the correct terminology for that, to legalize recreational marijuana in state in 2012. So welcome, Matt. Thanks. Great to have you here to our first Pot Talk podcast. I'm honored to be here, Fish. I'm honored to be here. Um, I was a a field organizer for 502, which was the first successful campaign legalization effort in the United States, and I couldn't be prouder of that, and happy to work with Fish on a few of those businesses that he mentioned, and he certainly helped me collect a few of those strains as well, so (laughs) happy to be here. Awesome. Thanks for coming, Matt. This is a great opportunity. I can't wait to get this thing started. And jump right in. Uh, for our first episode, we really want to think about you know, where we got to within this recreational legalization process. We mentioned in 2012, Washington State and Colorado both passed legalization. And since then, now we have 11, 12 states yep. to include Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a bunch more states that are looking like they're going to pass the law later on yep. and this year, which we'll talk about. Uh, so a lot of things happened in the recreational uh, movement. We're trying to touch on those. How did we get here? Like, how did this legalization process come about, and where are we kind of going? And this is where I think Matt, your 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 expertise in this area is so valuable because you know you served sure. on a campaign. Yep. Yep. No, I mean it was kind of my my main reason for getting into politics to begin with. The very business of politics was to to try to push forward this this legalization effort, um, and you know, like, like you said with medical, it, it really did, none of this would have come about if California didn't legalize medical marijuana in 1996, followed by Washington State in 1998. 2010, California had a, an initiative called Prop 19 that almost passed, I think it got 48% of the vote. Thanks to all the Prop 19 folks for all their, their hard work and dedication in 2012, both Colorado with Amendment 64 and Washington State with uh, Initiative 502. You know, I can tell you, being on the campaign, nobody that worked on that campaign actually thought that the federal government would let us go forward and legalize marijuana. I mean, we kind of assumed that the day after the election, we were going to get a federal injunction that was going (laughs) to be like, hey, don't start selling weed. But that never came, and two years later, Pot stores open, and kind of the what we've learned since then is once the store is open, it's 
pretty pretty damn hard to close them back yeah. up. Yeah, the cat's out of the bag at that cat's point. Cat's out of the going. bag, exactly. And uh, kind of caught on from there, and thankfully other states and countries. Actually, Uruguay was the first yeah. full country to legalize. Certainly something that piqued interest around the globe, not just here. And Uruguay was at a point in their own political process where they wanted to move forward with it and kind of snowballed from there. So... So what were some of like the initial challenges? I mean, you mentioned kind of the fact that, you know, you don't even think it was going to pass. So that almost, I mean, kind of begged the question, why even get started on something you almost think is going to fail? Well, no. Uh, or if that's we, maybe the correct one. We did think it would pass. We didn't think that the federal government would let us sell okay. pot. I mean, there had been prior to our legalization effort in 2010 and 2011, there had been kind of more not as well-funded, not as well-structured, but certainly important grassroots efforts to get cannabis legalization on the ballot, similar to Prop 19, although they weren't successful in getting it on the ballot in either case. In 2012, you know, Washington State is is one of several states that allows for voter initiatives on the ballot. And so we kind of had a well-funded uh, signature-gathering effort that allowed us to collect enough signatures to get it on the ballot. And then from there, we were able to to really push forward with it was a very professionally run, well-orchestrated, well-organized campaign. Um, you know, we felt that really going after sort of it, the middle, if you want to say, kind of the the sort of soccer mom crowd, suburban people that don't necessarily smoke marijuana, but aren't necessarily so hard line against it that they would never consider voting for legalization. So that's really what we kind of focus our efforts on. And we honestly, we didn't encounter a lot of opposition from, I mean, certainly we encountered some, but not as much as you would think from like the law enforcement community right. or the, I mean, we actually got a lot of faith leaders and a lot of the um, religious community on our side, believe it or not. Most of our our kind of opposition came from a pretty entrenched medical community at that point. So at the time, Washington State had a lot of these, you know, medical dispensaries that were, I mean, they were complying with the laws that was written, but they weren't necessarily well regulated or licensed. And I mean, they weren't taxed at all. So, you know, you have people making money hand over fist that didn't, and understandably so, didn't want to lose out on that. So that's kind of where our opposition came from. And Would you say that like the, the medical market, the folks in the medical market, or the industry, I guess medical, yeah, I guess medical market was like probably the biggest yes, hurdle? Yes, absolutely. Our, our opposition, the no on 502 campaign. But yeah, you know, I mean, and we were all, you know, it would be a, a crying shame to not point out that we were very, very well funded. Actually, our, our three... Three biggest donors were a gentleman by the name T. Cody Swift from an organization called MAPS. Rick Steves, who I'm sure some people yeah. will be familiar with. Um, Rick Steves went above and beyond for us. Um, One of the most humble men you could ever come across. Right. I had the fortune of meeting him at Hip Fest. He's a super unbelievable guy. Yeah. Super nice guy. Finally, uh, Peter Lewis, who is the founder of Progressive Insurance. God rest his soul. Uh, a very strong marijuana advocate his entire life and he i mean he gave us financial support like we couldn't imagine to the point of within the last month of the campaign where we kind of polling told us that we had it pretty much wrapped up we were actually diverting funds to colorado to be like well 
you know, let's let's make sure this isn't just one victory. Oh, nice. Two. Yeah, 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 yeah. Working so, together with other states. You know, and Colorado, you know, they were run by a, a guy named Mason Travert from uh, Marijuana Policy Project. And, I mean, he's excellent in his own right. Yeah. But, but that project's still ongoing today. They're, absolutely. They're pushing a lot of initiatives in the state. We're seeing absolutely. Yeah, they're, sure. they're real big on pushing Very their, big. the yep. state initiatives, which is great. And I fully support that effort. You talk about the campaigns and kind of move. We're definitely seeing this almost kind of template-like model where states are you know, mm-hmm. introducing themselves via the medical market, and then they're mm-hmm. kind of, you know, like the next election kind of comes around, and they kind of, you know, they morph from medical to recreational. Is that kind of consider more and more what we're seeing? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that's been the model for for a lot of places. Kind of one of those tried and true things that's proven to work. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think it, it in, in some states now you're you're kind of getting to the states that, you know, California, Oregon, Washington is legalized or you're getting to the more conservative states that aren't so gung ho about this idea. So kind of easing people into the process, you know, assuaging some of their fears um, really kind of helps to, to set the table for recreational legalization because uh you know once you kind of get a a store that sells marijuana open whether that's a dispensary that sells medical products or a recreational store like we said before the cat's out of the bag at that point yeah people kind of realize that oh not only is this not a bad thing this is actually a really good thing i mean and we're definitely not seeing all the the things we feared no, being projected that were going to happen, and we're not seeing you know, you know, teen use suddenly skyrocket, and your deaths no. are happening, and people aren't you know suddenly DUIs or driving under you know influence type issues are not suddenly skyrocketing. No, absolutely not. I mean, the the sky doesn't fall, and that's kind of the biggest asset if you're a marijuana or interested in marijuana legalization is once it happens, I mean, you can rest assured in the fact that you you'll be right. You know, tax revenue will go up. Hopefully potholes get filled, right. schools get funded. <laughs> Not um, holes in the pot industry, but potholes no, in the road. <laughs> I mean, it would be, you know, I mean, you pointed out in your opening, it creates a lot of jobs, too. And, yeah. I mean... You know, not to say that there's not high-skilled jobs in the marijuana industry, because there certainly are, but a, a great bulk of those jobs are, I mean, they're kind of entry-level jobs, but tender type jobs, and standard rule of thumb in the marijuana industry is you start people off at $15 an hour... So you're creating a whole bunch of jobs in your community that are a living wage yeah. to people who might otherwise not have jobs. That's right. And, you know, certainly giving them opportunities to move up within that industry. And, I mean, that has all kinds of ancillary benefits. And we're starting to see that now. These companies are starting to, you know, once more small companies are becoming big, big corporations almost. Yeah. And there's, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we're just a couple of places here in Washington State alone that, you know, hire more than you know, 100 people within their yeah. The company, yeah, big places. Yeah, they're constantly growing. Yeah. We're talking about some of these states, you know, that you know, kind of shift a little bit. You know, we kind of talk about how we go from we're typically seeing these states going from medical to recreational. Mm-hmm. But we start looking within the state. Like, what are some of the things that we're seeing kind of the states consider as they're adopting a program? Because now you have, you know, for all intents and purposes, you have 12 examples from which to go pull from if you're a state sure. that's looking to vote on it this year. Sure. I mean, you have kind of the, I, I would say, the the big three issues. You know, most states will say that they want some kind of, of DUI mechanism, um, which 
is available. The technology is not all the way there, right. but the mechanism is there. There's outside investment, whether the, the money can come from, you know, within the state or outside the state. Originally, to kind of preempt any sort of federal banking law argument, both Colorado and Washington put it in their laws that all of the investment had to come from within the state. Right. Colorado has since changed that. Um, Washington has not. So with with when you start calling it the green rush, I mean, people with money start to flock to it. So now you're seeing states that'll say, well, I mean, they'll, they'll take money from just about anywhere. Right. Y- you know, which you could argue whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but it's definitely something that's considered when writing one of these laws. And the third is home grows. Washington State, unfortunately, is one of, I think it's the, the, only, only, state, state, the, yeah. only, the state only state that has legal cannabis and no home grow provision. Um, and home grow is just, you know, allowing you to grow a few cannabis plants at home, you know, kind of like how you're allowed to grow tomato plants at your home. That's right. You know, you can go to the grocery store and buy them or you can grow them yourself. And we're basically seeing the same rule apply for the home grow as we're seeing the six plant rule seems to be kind yeah. of the standard. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, which is funny when you go back to Prop 19, they were all upset that they could only grow 16 plants. <laughs> now it's six. So, you know, I... My own two cents on that would be take what you can get when you can get it. But outside investment, okay, that, that's definitely a big one. You mentioned like Washington State, where Washington State does not allow uh, any percentage of nope. the, the entity owner of a, a recreate or marijuana license <laughs> to be an out-of-state resident. So you have to be a resident. You do. And you have to be a resident for a period of six months before you can even apply to get yep. put on a license. Now, I, it, and to my knowledge, maybe I'm missing another state, but to my knowledge, I'm pretty sure that all states now have allowance, with the exception of Washington, some mm-hmm. some kind of outside money. Yeah, they do. For example, like you know, Oregon, I believe, is 51 percent has to be in-state resident-owned, yep. and the other 49 can come from wherever. Correct, and and states will typically have some kind of residency requirement just to make sure that you know local people are benefiting from this endeavor, which is that's I'm all for that. But, you know, I, I, there's been so much money just flowing into the cannabis industry, especially with Canada legalizing and really kind of going full bore with that. You know, let's face it, Massachusetts and Illinois, there's a lot of capital floating around those two States um, that want to expand their reach to other places. So you're starting to get, you know, the, the Tilray's and the, the, you know, Crescos of the world that are well-funded operations that want to have a presence in every single legal state. Right. Right. And until one of those companies goes out of business, I just see that continuing. Sure. So more more the same. In in some ways it makes Washington state unique in the sense that we're the only one where we don't allow those to come in. So it, I mean, it's an ongoing experiment on, on, which, which is, is better? Which is the better model? Yeah. Exactly, because you know it allows Washington State to create some pretty unique and you know I would I would say top of the industry brands um, that are unique to Washington State. And at some point, whether it's now or down the road, they're going to capitalize on on all that money that's floating around with just aching to be spent on something. Yeah. So, you know, it's really, really letting small business grow. That's definitely one thing we've seen a lot of in yeah. Washington State. It seems like the not allowing the outside money has allowed a lot more people to jump into the game without having to have 
you know, a tremendous amount of money. Oh, yeah. a, lot, a lot of smaller players may even come in. Oh, yeah. I think in, in Washington State, the, the cost to get a license is... Well, initially. Initially. <laughs> initially. That's, that's a good... Yeah, initially it was $250. Yeah, initially it was $250, and, you know, license fees, you know, let's say around 2000 top end right. to, to get a license. In some states, I mean, like in Illinois, I think they make you put down a $25,000 non-refundable deposit just to apply for a license. Right. Not a ton of people have twenty five thousand dollars they want to gamble with. I, right, I know I don't. Right, so right. <laughs> you more and more states are starting to come on. With this being twenty twenty, certainly a big election year. Nope. What are you seeing? Like, who are some? Who are some of the states that you're seeing kind of pop up on the radars or the points of interest? Um, well, you know, Arizona was really close in twenty sixteen, and they kind of just got beat out. You know, their opposition was pretty well funded, so you know, take that for for how you will. I see Arizona trying and probably succeeding this time. Uh, and, and Arizona's a voter initiative, right? Ar- Arizona's a voter initiative. And maybe we should touch on that real quick before we jump in there, sure. man. So what, what is, because that is a big deal. That like, is a big deal. Uh, so like Washington State was a voter initiative. Washington State was a voter initiative. The other states are, what are they calling that? So there's, there's really two ways to go about it. There's states that allow voter initiatives and there's states that, you know, any legalization effort would have to be done through the legislature. And what's that mean to the, to the average person out there, the voter? So for a voter initiative, you basically, you have to go around, you have to collect a certain number of signatures. You know, it's usually a percentage of the registered voters in the state. And once you collect those signatures, then your you know, pre-written, pre-approved question can go on the ballot. In states where you have to do it through the legislature, um, that means that your elected officials down at out, down at the state house, wherever that is, you know, debate bills, they propose amendments, vote on it, and then either approve or deny it. And if it's approved, then the governor has to sign it. Illinois did that extremely well. Illinois, they got a, a new governor in 2018, uh, J.B. Pritzinger. One of his big initiatives that he campaigned on was legalizing marijuana, and he, you know, he is a pretty adept politician. He was able to, with commendable speed and efficiency, whip up the votes to, to get a legalization initiative passed and signed immediately, and stores opened January 1st. Their rollout has, you know, unsurprisingly, they're, and this is a trend in every state, they sell out of marijuana yeah, pretty right. quickly <laughs> until supply can Never keep realized. up with demand. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it does happen every state as they roll out. Yeah, <laughs> but what, what's interesting is um, when you compare that to Massachusetts, which was a voter initiative, Illinois opened with 48 stores throughout the state initially. Um, Massachusetts was passed voter initiative 2016 and didn't actually start selling until November of 2018, today only has 38 stores. My point being that some states are more effective at this than others. Um, But, you know, for for voter initiatives this year, you have Arizona, Nebraska's on the ballot. That's a kind of a surprise, I would think, to most people. It's kind of like Oklahoma with this medical pass two years ago. That one really called a lot of people off guard. Right. And their initiative there. Very successful program they have rolled out out there. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh... South Dakota. South Dakota is an interesting one because South Dakota currently has no marijuana laws on the books. Right. So they're actually voting on a medical law and a recreational law on the same ballot. And North Dakota, I believe, is going to be in that 
that loop or possibly in that loop as well. They might North be Dakota, yeah, they they legalized uh, medical, medical in 2016, and they're they've over the past year been slowly opening up, you know, stores. So they're kind of just starting to get to the point where there's, you know, like I said, there's a store that now sells marijuana products in North Dakota. Um, I imagine there's going to be a period of time where they have to, you know, look up at the sky and make sure it's not falling. Hopefully it passes. Yeah, I tell, one of those I think is interesting is uh, just kind of look back. And while they're not necessarily expected to, I don't even think they're really even close to getting on the ballot this year, is Ohio. Mm-hmm. And Ohio in 2015, uh, they attempted, they had a voter legislative they action. The yeah, they yeah. had it on the ballot. Uh, and interestingly, the voters overwhelmingly rejected it, despite the collective desire to legalize. Correct. Liquor. And that's, that's an interesting one because um, – the Ohio initiative in 2015 was very well funded and it was very carefully written to, it almost pre gave a very small number of licenses to a very select group of people. Yeah. I think um, if I remember the number, right. They were trying to issue, I believe it was like 15 mm-hmm. cultivation licenses, meaning grower licenses, but they were going to so, issue like a thousand yes. retail store licenses, thus creating no, uh, Real monopoly for the state. Exactly, exactly. And it was, I think it was, it was 15 cultivation licenses, but they were only going to go to, I think, five or six license holders. And then anyone could, anyone with enough money and a clean background could apply to open a store. Right. But you could only get it from. You could only get your source of product from one of the correct. six outlets. Correct. <laughs> yeah. So at, that was pretty obvious attempt to, at engineered corporate greed and. You know, the voters of Ohio saw right through it. Which is great. Yeah, credit to them. Yeah, credit to them. It's definitely something to be mindful of. We kind of saw a little bit of something like that developing within Maryland. And I think it seemed, you know, that when they pushed down from Ohio into Maryland and kind of eluded, uh, you know, voters and citizens of you know Maryland kind of see the same thing. Yeah. And so it's been a very slow rollout. But it's definitely something I think people have to be aware of. Oh, for sure. It's not just to say, you know, yes for legalization. Just be sure it's done, you know, in a correct way, safe way. Yeah, absolutely. But also it gives people, you know, plenty of opportunities to, you know, start their own businesses within the industry. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I think having a, a more open market that can, you know, really foster innovation, it only benefits everyone. You know, there there are certainly states that are, are better at that than others, but that is something to be mindful of going forward. And I think... To a certain degree, some states, they certainly saw what happened in Ohio and they, they learned from that, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, New Jersey is a, a good example. Of that's also going to be on the ballot yeah. in 2020. And that's not a state that has voter initiatives. That was a state where it was, it's been debated in their state house and state senate for the past two years. And the legislators there basically... They didn't want to be the ones to make the decision, so they kind of punted it yeah. to voters. They basically wrote a law and said, "Okay, you know, we'll put this, we'll put this on the ballot and let the people decide." And this one looks like it should be kind of a walkthrough. I mean, it, it's it a, should be. I mean, it's the guard state. Yeah, I would hope. <laughs> true that. True that. Well, we, we kind of run a short, a little bit short on time. So, I mean, we just kind of we, we covered a lot in terms of just kind of recreational. Legislative legalization process, how we kind of got here, mm-hmm. where we're kind of going. What's something maybe you could share with uh, the voters out there in their respective states? And what, what action can they take to kind of help, you know, the process within their own state? You know, I, I, I would say 
certainly if you're an advocate for, for legal marijuana, obviously you can talk to your, your friends and neighbors, um, and you know them better than I, but I'd say talk about it in a, a kind of responsible way. I mean, kind of the tagline that we used in 502 that, I mean, it is true, is drug dealers don't check ID. So if you're really worried about your kids getting their hands on pot, make sure that the pot dealers check ID like they do in retail stores. Um, but, you know, write, write and call your, your elected representatives because even though they may not answer the phone, they certainly... Somebody will. Somebody will. And they'll register what you're calling about, what your issue is. And if enough people kind of make make enough noise, you know, the saying goes, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So be that squeaky wheel, you know, keep, keep telling your elected officials that this is something you want in your state. You know, I'd also add, this is one big one too, that I've seen is this has happened. When I was living in DC at the time. The, uh, the folks were out there trying to get their signatures for the petition mm-hmm. to get it on the ballot is that brought, you know, planted that seed in my mind. Don't be such in a hurry to walk past those folks who are trying to collect no. the signatures. No, no, they no. need their signature for a reason, so you see them. Yeah. Make sure you get your name on there, and so you get that total account number up. And because without it, then they're not going to ever get it on the ballot. No, absolutely, absolutely. And you know those, you know, it's our process. That, that's our process, and you know they're doing important work, and and if legal marijuana is something you want, then hear them out. Well, let's hope for a big 2020 turnout this year. Big 2020, yeah. And yeah. The, the other important thing you can do is you can vote. Well, Matt, I can't thank you enough for for uh, kicking off this first Pot Talk podcast. And well, it's been my for pleasure. For those of you watching, this is the man, yep. the brains behind a whole <laughs> lot of things in the industry. Uh, just a great man. Got a lot of knowledge. Now, if you have questions or ideas you'd like to see for for Pot Talk, reach out to us. If you want to see something about you know, legalization, by all means, email us at info at pottalk.org. Uh, we get Matt to re- reply back to whatever questions you may have. You have questions about your state. Uh, but big thing is just be involved. Be involved is probably the number one thing is follow along, be involved, and put your name on the signature list so you can get legalized in your state. Yep. Uh, with that, thanks for everyone for joining us. Thank I look you. forward to us next week. Happy Pot Talk, folks. Happy Pot Talk. <laughs>